0: How wise?"
1: This is Thomas.
0: And this is Sarah.
1: And we'd like to welcome you to Episode 2 of the Healthwise Report from Naturally Good Magazine. We think we have a pretty good show for you this time. A lot of varied topics, including vaccines, flus, and of course some politics thrown in.
0: Moving on now, I'd like to cover the case of Daniel Hauser, a 13-year-old boy who was diagnosed with cancer. What's special about this case is that neither Daniel nor his parents want to go through the conventional treatments of chemotherapy and radiation. They'd been through one session, and it was painful. It was horrific. He went through a lot of suffering, and quite frankly, he didn't want to go through it again. And who can blame him? This is normal for chemotherapy sessions, by the way. So they told their doc that they were going to seek out a secondary opinion, went to see a naturopath and returned and told the doctor that they weren't going to use any more chemotherapy, that it went against their religious views, and that they believe in the old saying, which used to be the motto of the doctors, by the way, that thou shall first do no harm. Chemotherapy goes directly against this belief because you're inserting a poison into somebody. Now here's the logic behind chemotherapy, okay? Cancer cells are weaker than all the other cells in the body, so if you insert a poison, they should die first. What's fundamentally flawed about this is that this will also weaken dramatically all of the healthy cells, leaving you vulnerable and susceptible to pretty much anything and everything else that comes along, and increasing your chances drastically of getting cancer again, in the same place or in a different place. It's crazy. So then his doctors went and made up statistics about survival rates and how effective chemotherapy is, and about his huge chances of survival if he went through chemotherapy, how he was going to die, almost definitely, if he didn't. Maybe these doctors realized that he had a Blue Cross insurance card or something. Who knows? So anyway, the doctors took him to court to try and force him to take chemotherapy. What's incredible here is that the judge completely ignored his constitutional rights to freedom of religion and is going to force him to take chemotherapy. I mean, what happened to parental rights or to individual freedom of choice? They're telling this boy that because of his age, he has no right to choose, yet somehow they have the right to put him through agony by poisoning him? If they did it to prisoners, it would be cruel and unusual punishment, but they can get away with it with a 13-year-old boy. I mean, it's completely sick and barbaric. The family have said they'll ignore a court ruling. Who can blame them? They're trying to keep their son alive... Here's what it all comes down to in the end. If you've got a child that's sick, I mean really sick, it's very clear there's something wrong. The worst thing that you can do is take him to a doctor. Because as soon as you do, you're under their jurisdiction. As soon as he gets a diagnosis, they're free to treat him with whatever it is that they want to treat him with. And that could be chemotherapy, it could be radiation... It could be anything, and if you try to seek out an alternative treatment at that point, you can be charged with medical neglect. You can have your kids just taken away from you. And this is becoming more and more common. It's unbelievable that something like this would happen in America. It really is.
1: We're going to start our episode by telling you a few things about fats and cholesterols. And before you tune us out and thinking, oh, this is going to be so incredibly boring take our word for it, it's not really boring. It's not boring because almost everything you've been told about fats and cholesterol are lies built up for a fraudulent industry to treat diseases that don't exist. Now the sad irony is that the same industry that's treating diseases that don't exist actually cause diseases with their medications for the non-existent diseases. So it's, it's really ugly and it's basically a, a house of cards, a house of lies and Sarah is going to tell you about that now.
0: Yeah, I think it's time that we um, set the record straight. And so I'm going to read you um, a, um, a little bit based on the work of Sally Fallon and Mary Enig. Um This is edited slightly, but there's no real changes, and we believe in giving credit where credit is due. So I'm going to go ahead and read that now. Fats from animal and vegetable sources provide a concentrated source of energy in the diet. They also provide the building blocks for cell membranes and a variety of hormones and hormone-like substances. Fats, as part of a meal, slow down absorption so that we can go longer without feeling hungry. In addition, they act as carriers for important fat-soluble vitamins A, D, E, and K. Dietary fats are needed for the conversion of carotene to vitamin A, for mineral absorption, and for a host of other processes. Politically correct nutrition is based on the assumption that we should reduce our intake of fats, particularly saturated fats, from animal sources. Fats from animal sources also contain cholesterol, presented as the twin villain of the civilized diet. The lipid hypothesis, which began the butter and cholesterol hysteria, states that there is a direct relationship between the amount of saturated fat and cholesterol in the diet and the incidence of coronary heart disease. It was proposed by a researcher named Ansel Keyes in the late 1950s. Numerous subsequent studies have disputed his data and its conclusions. Nevertheless, Keyes' articles have received far more publicity than those presenting alternate views. The reason behind this is the usual one. Money. The vegetable oil and food processing industries, who are the main beneficiaries of research which found fault with competing traditional foods, promoted and funded vast research designed to support the Lipid Hypothesis which in turn supported their new Hazardated Oils industries. They paid for the scientific results they got, and the medical establishment ran with them. There are many, quote, experts, who still assure us that the Lipid Hypothesis is backed by incontrovertible scientific proof, including the American Heart Association. Most people would be surprised to learn that there is, in fact, very little evidence to support the contention that a diet low in cholesterol And saturated fat actually reduces death from heart disease, or in any way increases one's lifespan. Consider the following. Before 1920, coronary heart disease was rare in America. So rare that when a young internist named Paul Dudley White introduced a German electrocardiograph to his colleagues at Harvard University, they advised him to concentrate on a more profitable branch of medicine. The new machine revealed the presence of arterial blockages, thus permitting early diagnosis of coronary heart disease. But in those days, clogged arteries were a medical rarity, and White had to search for patients who could benefit from his new technology. During the next 40 years, however, the incidence of coronary heart disease rose dramatically, so much so that by the mid-1950s, heart disease was the leading cause of death among Americans. Today, heart disease causes at least 40% of all U.S. deaths. If, as we have been told, heart disease results from the consumption of saturated fats, one would expect to find a corresponding increase in animal fat in the American diet. Actually, the reverse is true, and most people have been following the advice of their physicians and the American Heart Association. During the 60-year period from 1910 to 1970, the proportion of traditional animal fat in the American diet declined from 83% to 62% and butter consumption plummeted from 18 pounds per person per year to 4. During the past 80 years, dietary cholesterol intake has increased only 1%. During that same period, the percentage of dietary vegetable oils in the form of margarine, shortening, and refined oils increased about 400%, while the consumption of sugar and processed foods increased about 60%. Again, Heart disease now causes at least 40% of all U.S. deaths, Yet it was practically a freak occurrence when butter was a staple of the American diet. Americans are dying from heart disease in record numbers from chemically manipulated hydrogenated oils, the very ones they promised were going to save us. Hydrogenated oils are artificially processed oils that never appear in nature. They are created by food producers for the convenience of food producers. Primarily to add shelf life and consistency to foods so that those foods can sit on the shelf for months at a time without going bad, a clear indicator of their toxicity level. Hygienated oils, that is, chemically perverted oils and butter substitutes, are the number one cause of heart disease and a major contributor to neurological disorders in the United States and around the world. Hygienated oils are poison to the human body. They accelerate the build-up of plaque in the arteries by causing inflammation, thus stimulating the body to patch the inflamed artery regions with calcium. The human body simply cannot process these unnatural oils. As a result, they bring on heart disease far more quickly than could ever happen naturally. Switching to olive oil and butter may be among the best ways to fend off not only heart disease, but cancer as well, another known side effect of these man-made oils and fats. Most modern studies confirm this, but you'll have to dig to find them, because the food industry and the medical establishment ignores them. It's difficult to know how much of this behavior is influenced by professional arrogance, years of brainwashing, or how much of it is just old-fashioned, plain greed.
1: Well, if I were to make a guess, Sarah, I would say the latter. Old-fashioned greed is probably the biggest factor. I think so, too. Anyway, I guess we'll move on. Uh Ah, the marvels of modern medical science. Ah, Well, you might want to sit down and brace yourself for this one, for what it's given us now. It has been discovered by modern medical science now that cancer is caused by a vaccine deficiency. That's right. Vaccine deficiency causes cancer. At least that's what the makers and proponents of Gardasil would have you believe Gardasil is a vaccine for young teenage girls it prevents or it's supposed to prevent four strains of the HPV virus which is a venereal disease now this vaccine has been given to girls as young as age six I think the average age is age nine let's stop and think about this for a minute girls as young as age six are being given a vaccine for venereal diseases. And it's believed that by the time they are sexually active, by age, you know, maybe 15, somewhere between 15 and 18, for most girls nowadays, that it's not even going to be in effect, that it will have lost its potency and not provide any immunity whatsoever. So the question is, is why are six-year-old girls being given a venereal disease vaccine that only affects four strains of one particular venereal disease, and in this particular venereal disease, there are forty strains. So there's maybe a one chance of ten there. Yep. Um, this stuff is horrific. It's terrible. It's it's a disgrace. We're going to get into it in a minute. We're go- we've got a presentation actually to let you guys listen to. Uh, is there anything you wanted to add, Sarah?
0: Yeah, I just want to say that the side effects for this particular vaccine are really horrific. If you look around on the internet and see some of the lives that it's destroyed, while it has killed some of the victims of this vaccine, other ones it's just rendered their lives pretty much useless, put people in comas, given them convulsions. And this is for, like, six-year-old girls. It is really horrific.
1: Yeah, most girls who we've, we've checked out that had serious side effects from this vaccine ended up on ox- Oxycontin. Is that how it's pronounced?
0: Yes, I think so.
1: Uh, the, the very, very potent painkiller because they're in agonizing pain, and the pain doesn't just go away. It's not like you feel pain the day after. These girls have been having pain for months, and potentially it could go on for years. They just don't know. Yeah. I mean, this, this these aren't minor effects like sore throat, you know, runny nose. We're talking something that is crippling of a person's life. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're going to uh, move on into that presentation now, unless you have something else to add, Sarah?
0: No, I was just going to say that the presentation is done by a Jenny Thompson from the Health Sciences Institute.
1: Yeah, we'll just put her on because uh, she did a better job than we can do. She's got her act together. Listen up, folks. This is really interesting.
2: She loves singing along to Hannah Montana. She has her first crush on that cute boy, the one that sits next to her in her math class. A day in the life of a nine-year-old girl in America. Now imagine that nine-year-old girl is your daughter and that her pediatrician wants you to get her a vaccine to protect her against syphilis. Today, at least for right now, you'd have a choice, but maybe not for long. My name is Jenny Thompson and I'm the director of the Health Sciences Institute. This morning I want to talk to you about an urgent threat to your daughter's health. It's not a syphilis vaccine, but it may as well be. The danger I want to talk to you about today is the so-called cervical cancer vaccine, Gardasil. Gardasil is everywhere. It's been the lead story on every major news network and the commercials of flooding the airwaves. And if Merck has anything to say about it, you will not have a choice whether or not to get your daughter that Gardasil vaccine. That's right. Thanks to Merck's lobbying efforts, at least 24 states and the District of Columbia introduced legislation to mandate this vaccine for girls to be allowed to go to school. Think about that for a second. I can understand requiring vaccines to avoid epidemics. In some cases that just has to be done for the greater good. But in what world does Gardasil qualify under these guidelines? In a world of politics and of greed. Fortunately, parents in several states got up in arms and they've been able to overturn the legislation requiring Gardasil for their daughters. In other states, legislation has been withdrawn or tabled indefinitely. So today, at least for right now, girls in the land of the free and the home of the brave are still allowed to go to school without being forcibly injected with an STD vaccine. That's right, I said STD. In most cases, cervical cancer is the result of a sexually transmitted disease, specifically HPV. We react to it differently because we hear the word cancer. But think about this. Would you get your nine-year-old daughter a syphilis vaccine? Then you probably won't want to get her the Gardasil vaccine either. And that is a very good thing. Because while Merck's commercials would have you believe that the only side effect to Gardasil is an urge to jump rope and to sing, nothing could be further from the truth. Let me take a minute to go over the minor side effects associated with Gardasil. And it's important for you to know that Merck actually is recommending that we start vaccinating girls at 9 years old. This is the quick list from Merck's own website and it reads, quote, The side effects include pain, swelling, itching, bruising, and redness at the injection site, headache, fever, nausea, dizziness, vomiting, and fainting, end quote. Nine-year-old girls. And according to the FDA's adverse events reports and the Centers for Disease Control, the effects don't stop there. One report showed 11,916 adverse events, and another report showed 580 severe reactions to the vaccine. Those severe reactions include seizures, convulsions, paralysis, Bell's palsy, Guillain-Barre syndrome, anaphylactic shock, and comas. How could anyone even suggest you give your daughter this vaccine, let alone force you to do it? In one terrifying case, a 14-year-old girl received her Gardasil shot. She took six steps, and she collapsed into unconsciousness. She began to foam at the mouth until she finally came out of it about a minute later. But 32 other girls, they weren't so lucky. So far, 32 girls and young women, daughters, sisters, friends, have died after getting the Gardasil vaccine. A 20-year-old woman with no negative medical history died suddenly four days after her Gardasil shot. Seven others died within two days of theirs. And in one shocking instance, one woman died of a blood clot, which is the most common diagnosis in Gardasil-related deaths. She died just three hours after getting her shot. These are girls and young women dying after receiving a shot that is supposed to protect them from dying. And I know something about dying from cervical cancer, or rather about not dying from it. You see, I had cervical cancer and a very aggressive form of it when I was just 25 years old my doctor looked across his desk at me looked me in the eye and said Jenny four weeks from today I will not be able to save your life and despite that if the vaccine had been an option for me knowing what I know today I would have refused to take it I've already told you about the shocking side effects but my reasons don't stop there let's say for a moment that you could ignore the list of side effects I mean after all this could protect you or your daughter from cancer, right? Not exactly. There are 18 strains of HPV, yet Gardasil protects against only four of them. And if a girl or woman already has any of those 18 strains, the vaccine provides absolutely zero protection against any of them at all. In addition, there's no way of knowing how long the vaccine lasts. Right now they think it could last at least five years but what that would mean is a 12-year-old girl who gets the shot today could essentially lose the protection when she needs it the most. Of course, we don't know for sure because no long-term studies have been done on its effectiveness or on its safety. Let's be realistic. The girls getting the vaccine today, they are the guinea pigs. They are the long-term trial. Plus, Gardasil has a unique side effect we don't have to worry about in most other vaccines. A false sense of security. Not long ago, my sister was at school with her young son, and she heard two teenage girls talking, and one actually said to the other, my mom just got me that safe sex vaccine. The risk that a young girl would believe she can have unprotected sex could lead to higher rates of HPV and cervical cancer, and of other sexually transmitted diseases, and of course, pregnancy. Considering the limited amount of protection that Gardasil actually provides, that false sense of security might be the scariest side effect of all. Except that it isn't. It's not even close. Fainting, dizziness, vomiting, seizures, convulsions, comas, death. These are the risks you don't hear in the songs and you don't see on the faces of the pretty young girls in the commercials. But they are very, very real. And there is no reason that one more girl should have to risk them. We know that with proper education, screening, and treatment, cervical cancer can be beaten. I am living proof of that. Since the introduction of regular pap smears, cases of cervical cancer have dropped 75% in this country. So let me make a bold statement. With proper screening and treatment, cervical cancer might never kill another woman in America. It's just too bad we can't say the same thing about the cervical cancer vaccine. There's so much more about cervical cancer and about Gardasil that I haven't had time to cover here today. If you want to receive updates on Gardasil and on Merck's lobbying efforts in your state, as well as other urgent health information, please sign up for our free e-alert service on the HSI website. And again, thank you.
0: I want to take a short break to mention one of our sponsors, Southeast Voice and Data. Make unlimited local and long-distance calls for only $20 a month. Check out sevoiceanddata.com for more information on hosting, back service, and digital phone service.
1: Folks, again, that address is sevoiceanddata.com dot com people may be noticing that this time I sound a little bit hoarse I think that I might have the swine flu Sarah
0: well you should hurry to a doctor Thomas
1: do you think that would help
0: I bet it would yeah
1: think you could fix me up I'm sure well I'll, I'll get right on that Sarah uh
0: huh <laughs> <laughs> alright well I'm gonna be, I'm gonna move on there's a severe flu going around which is very unusual for this time of year Nevertheless, it's a really tough flu, and so I thought it would be appropriate for us to let people know what they can do to recover as quickly as possible without going to the doctor. For anyone suffering with the flu, or even just a cold, there are some supplements that work universally to boost the immune system. Therefore, these are usually good to keep in stock at home for when you do get sick. Black elderberry is very useful for flu sufferers as it really gives the immune system a boost and has been shown to more than a half the time it takes to recover in studies. It was used by Native Americans when they had a cough or cold, which is very seldom, by the way. There's also a seal, which fights bacteria and boosts the immune system. Bacteria will spring up even during a viral infection due to a weakened immune system. Zinc and echinacea are also very popular. Make sure that you buy zinc gluconate, not zinc oxide, which is a carcinogen. You'll also want to remember to take zinc on a full stomach. Lysine is also very helpful against viruses. It gives a huge boost to the immune system. Lysine is spelled L-Y-S-I-N-E for those who are researching it. You should also try to keep your pH high, which you can achieve by eating plenty of fruits and vegetables. More important, more specifically, pineapple juice and homemade lemonade. It's important to avoid sweets and soft drinks, and with the use of black elderberry, golden seal, zinc gluconate, echinacea, and lysine you should recover very quickly.
1: I'm going to tell you a little history here that you won't hear in the mainstream media. There used to be an amino acid on the market called L tryptophan. L tryptophan, like other amino acids, is an all natural substance that either your body produces itself or gets from proteins. And as an all-natural substance that occurs in the body anyway, it had no negative side effects whatsoever. The effects were all good. L-tryptophan was an antidepressant, a very powerful antidepressant, and is considered on par with the most expensive pharmaceuticals available now. But unlike the expensive pharmaceuticals, L-tryptophan is no longer available, despite the fact that unlike the pharmaceuticals, It doesn't cause violent reactions. It doesn't cause psychotic reactions, including suicides in young children. And it doesn't cause serious medical conditions, like they do. I'm going to read you something from LEAF.org that has to do with the history there and why it's no longer on the market. Here I go. In the fall of 1989, the FDA recalled L-tryptophan, an amino acid nutritional supplement, stating that it caused a rare and deadly flu-like condition. On March 22, 1990, the FDA banned the public sale of dietary L-tryptophan completely. This ban continues today. On March 26, 1990, Newsweek featured a lead article praising the virtues of the antidepressant drug Prozac. Its multicolor cover displayed a floating, gigantic green and white capsule Prozac with the caption, Prozac, a breakthrough drug for depression. The fact that the FDA ban on L-tryptophan and the Newsweek Prozac cover story occurred within four days of each other went unnoticed by both the media and the public. Yet to those who understand the effective properties of L-tryptophan and Prozac, the concurrence seems unbelievably coincidental. The link here is the brain neurotransmitter serotonin, a biochemical nerve signal conductor. The action of Prozac and L-tryptophan are both involved with serotonin, but in totally different ways.
0: It is actually the standard procedure of the FDA. Former FDA Commissioner Herbert Lay said that it was the job of the FDA to protect the drug companies and not the consumer. So, in the late 1970s, the FDA went to war with a vitamin called B17. I'm sure that none of you have actually heard of vitamin B17, and there's a reason for that, because it has some very potent cancer-fighting properties. And that threatened their lucrative industry of chemotherapy and radiation and surgery. Mm-hmm.
1: They went in with the federal marshals, didn't they? Armed? Yeah. It, was like a, it, was, it wasn't just a normal legal action. I mean, they, they went in there with guns drawn like to, for maximum intimidation factor. Yeah. So that all health food stores were like totally afraid to carry vitamin B-17 in any form whatsoever after that. You can't find it in this country anymore. You have to like go to Mexico to get it like a lot of people do for their alternative treatments, yeah, but uh, b seven would stop, stop stop cancer in its tracks, I believe in most cases
0: yeah, for the same thing in fact it's the main reason that almonds are now pasteurized or irradiated, and that's the law they actually have to be
1: yeah there's there's like no valid reason for that. why would you pasteurize a dry nut exactly um, yeah, they came up with some excuse, like, you could supposedly catch E. coli virus from a nut now? Yeah, it was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Of course, that happened right after there was all this publicity about B-17 being in almonds. Suddenly, the FDA had to pasteurize them to essentially neutralize their nutritional value. Yeah. The Healthwise Report is free, forever, on the internet. So, there's never an end of life to any of our shows. This is something to keep in mind if you're an advertiser looking for another advertising medium. Our prices are quite a bit cheaper than you'll expect. Well that's enough for that let's get back to the show now. There's been a recent story about how the GSE exams which are taken by English students English high school students specifically has been altered to reflect a politically correct opinion about the MM our vaccine, apparently you have to have the right opinion to pass your science exam now. And Sarah, being a young English lady herself, I thought maybe she could enlighten us a little bit about the GSE. G-S-C-E?
0: GCSE. Oh, the
1: GCSEs.
0: Yeah, sure. The GCSEs are a set of exams which are taken at the end of high school by every student to form the equivalent to an American high school diploma. A teenager's success in these exams determine the type of career he'll be able to attain and the college he may be able to attend, because unlike in the US, grades for each subject are made known in the certifications obtained from the state. It's not merely a pass or fail system, so each bad mark counts against the student forever. In this supposed science exam, students were only given the good grades if they had the correct opinions, which was that data which conclusively proved that MMR causes autism was bad science and should be ignored. The teenagers had to write the fact that lawyers had funded the study meant that the study was biased, as those lawyers would want to sue manufacturers.
1: And that's not even true, is it? No. Oh, go ahead, I'm sorry.
0: No problem. In truth, that study was not alone in recognising a link between autism and vaccines, and it's not coincidental that some children appear to be brain damaged and actually regress in developmental capabilities when given vaccines. This is only one vaccine, but they're all very dangerous, and I wouldn't take any of them myself. The dangers of the MMR vaccine were discussed widely on TV during the time that I was growing up, but it's clear which side of the information war really won. And that's what it was, by the way. It's an information war, not a war over studies or science, but over which information was going to be told, which opinions would be allowed, and who would be ridiculed. It was won by vaccine manufacturers who really do exchange money with lawmakers and cherry-pick which studies they decide to use to determine safety. It's clear that these are pharmaceutical interests at work, which do not want a generation of three f- free thinkers who would ever dare to question the safety of their concoctions. They're doing their best to make sure that that doesn't happen. I'd like to play a short audio clip um, from thinktwice.com, which is an agency that gives out free information about vaccines and their safety to help people make informed decisions.
1: Before we get to that, Sarah, I just, just I realized something. There's, there's a greater implication here that I'm not sure if you picked up on or not. You say that with the GCSEs, every subject gets a different rating Yes. when you go out to get a job. So anybody who has the wrong opinion here on the vaccines will get a low rating on their science GCSE, meaning they won't be allowed To work in the world of science. Yes, that's That's correct. That's the whole point, isn't it? Yeah. They'll keep you out of the world of science. That way they can enforce the fact that the scientific community has a unanimous opinion about this vaccine.
0: Uh Uh-huh.
1: Truly sick stuff here.
0: It's very sinister, yeah.
1: Okay, so we're going to cue in that report now. Okay, listen up, folks. This is pretty good.
3: Mm Mm-hmm. What is MMR? MMR is an abbreviation for measles, mumps, and rubella three common childhood illnesses up until the mid-1970s. Vaccines are available for each of these diseases. However, in the 1980s, they were combined into a single 3-in-1 MMR shot. How is the MMR vaccine made? The current MMR vaccine contains attenuated live measles and mumps viruses propagated in chick embryo cell culture, the Wistar RA273 strain of live attenuated rubella virus propagated in WI38 human diploid lung fibroblasts cultured from an aborted human fetus, a growth medium supplemented with fetal bovine serum, sucrose, phosphate, glutamate, sorbitol, recombinant human albumin, hydrolyzed gelatin stabilizer, and neomycin, an antibiotic. The MMR vaccine contains several questionable substances. How safe is the MMR vaccine? The vaccine manufacturer, the CDC's Adverse Event Database, and numerous peer-reviewed studies from around the world link the MMR vaccine to several debilitating ailments, including encephalitis, brain inflammation, neurological disorders, learning disabilities, Guillain-Barre syndrome, paralysis, and muscle incoordination, optic neuritis with partial or total blindness, deafness, arthritis, myelitis, spontaneous bleeding, and blood clotting disorders. Inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, meningitis, diabetes, autism, immune system disorders, and death. Adverse reactions to the MMR vaccine. Severe adverse reactions, including brain damage, nerve damage, immune system damage, allergic reactions, seizures, convulsions, Guillain-Barre syndrome, sensory impairments, bowel disorders, blood disorders, diabetes, and autism have been linked to the MMR vaccine. How effective is the MMR vaccine? Prior to the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccines, thousands of cases of measles, mumps, and rubella occurred every year. Today, these numbers are greatly reduced. However, unlike the natural diseases, the MMR vaccine does not confer permanent immunity. According to the CDC, outbreaks of measles, mumps, and rubella often occur in vaccinated people. In a recent study, half of all children vaccinated with MMR were found to have zero or very low immunity, against measles and mumps. MMR and autism. Many parents report that their perfectly healthy children became autistic after receiving the MMR vaccine. The affected children were developing normally, then regressed after receiving the triple virus shot, losing their previously acquired skills. Vaccine proponents deny that MMR can cause autism, and some of the studies appear to confirm this claim. However, some of the studies and other evidence clearly confirm an MMR-autism link. How can MMR cause autism? Dr. Andrew Wakefield was the first scientist to explain how MMR can cause autism. In the 1950s and 1960s, before MMR, researchers noted that young children who were simultaneously exposed to two or more viral infections, measles, mumps, rubella, or chickenpox had a greatly increased risk of developing autism. Dr. Wakefield realized that if a child who is exposed to two or more wild viruses at the same time is at increased risk for autism, then a child who is injected with three live viruses at the same time via the MMR vaccine is equally at risk for autism, if not more so. MMR and autism, a possible explanation. A young child exposed to one viral disease, measles, mumps, rubella, or chickenpox usually recovers. If the child is exposed to another viral disease weeks or months later, once again, recovery is expected. A young child exposed to two or more viral diseases at the same time is at increased risk for adverse complications, including autism. The MMR vaccine contains three viruses. Children vaccinated with MMR are exposed to three viral diseases at the same time. Why are the three vaccines combined? When 180 Swiss doctors analyzed 320 scientific works from around the world, They concluded that there is no medical foundation for combining measles, mumps, and rubella into a single shot. The three vaccines, measles, mumps, and rubella, are combined for convenience, not safety or efficacy. The child receives one shot, MMR, instead of three. Are three separate shots better? Dr. Wakefield proposed separating the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccines from the 3-in-1 MMR shot, the way they were in the 1970s prior to being combined, and giving them individually over the course of several weeks or months. Dr. Wakefield's solution would protect against the risk of autism while satisfying immunization recommendations. However, parents should realize that the individual measles, mumps, and rubella vaccines can cause severe adverse reactions as well. These are also listed by the vaccine manufacturer and documented in numerous studies. Vaccine Exemptions Although the MMR vaccine may be mandated for children to enter school, usually in combination with other vaccines, each state offers legal exemptions. If you are opposed to vaccines, acquire a copy of your vaccine laws and submit a vaccine waiver to the authorities in place of vaccination.
0: We'd like to cover the case of the younger Gabriel Myers, a seven-year-old who committed suicide whilst on psychotropic drugs. The case... Um, isn't alone. And so we'd like to read you the the actual story from Sun Sentinel because they they did a really good job of covering this story.
1: Yeah, we do have a little bit of information from the Sun Sentinel and other sources. But um, interestingly enough, the court which allowed this drugging to happen has also sealed the records about it. Interestingly enough, so the media is having a hard time getting the official records. To tell you a brief summary, the kid was in foster care. And it's a common practice for the drug companies and the doctors to experiment on foster children. They don't have a parent there to say no or to sue them, unfortunately. So this kind of experimentation takes place all the time. In fact, we cover a story about it in our magazine, Issue 1, I believe. These are a few excerpts from the Sun Sentinel. Weeks before his death, Gabriel Myers, the seven-year-old Broward boy who hanged himself in the shower of his foster home, had been prescribed a powerful mind-altering drug linked by federal regulators to an increased risk of suicide in children. In all, Gabriel had been prescribed four psychiatric drugs, two or three of which he had been taken at the time of his death, said Jack Moss, Broward chief of the State Department of Children and families. Moss said he was not sure which medications the boy was taking because Margate police took the Foster Holmes medications log as part of an investigation into Gabriel's death last week. Three of the psychotropic drugs carry U.S. Food and Drug Administration black box label warnings for children's safety, the strongest advisory the federal agency issues. Three of the medications are not approved for use with young children, though they are widely prescribed to youngsters, quote, off-label meaning the doctors can prescribe the drug even if it is not formally approved for that use. In 2005, reacting to a series of stories in the Miami Herald that as many as one and four foster children were prescribed potentially dangerous mind-altering drugs, state lawmakers approved a law aimed at curbing their use. Children's advocates now question whether the law is being ignored. Florida law requires that either a parent or judge consent to the use of psychotropic drugs on foster children. A source of knowledge of the boy's case said Gabriel already had been taking a three-drug cocktail when Broward Circuit Judge Lisa Porter was informed at a March 11th hearing. The judge approved the medications over the objection of a court-approved guardian, the source said. Four feet tall and 67 pounds, with short-cropped brown hair, Gabriel was a bright, charming, and often sweet little boy to those who knew him. On Thursday, Gabriel locked himself in a bathroom and hanged himself with a detachable showerhead after arguing with the 19-year-old son of his foster dad about his lunch. The DCF petitioned a judge on Thursday to unseal the boys' records in response to requests from the Herald and other media. Symbiox, recently approved for severe depression, is among a group of commonly prescribed antidepressants, such as Prozac and Paxil, that the FDA warned in 2000 were linked to an increase in quote, suicidal thoughts or behaviors, unquote, among children. Symbiacs is not approved by the FDA for use on children.
0: Even in the alternative health movement, you'll find bad advice, and even dangerous advice coming from some people. And we've come across that um, in a couple of cases recently, and while it would be easier for us to just go along with it or stay silent, I think that in order for us to be able to help people, we really need to be able to break from the pack when necessary
1: Yeah, unfortunately there's a lot of scam artists in the alternative medicine and alternative medicine too um, we try not to concentrate on it because it's so hard giving alternative medicine legitimacy as it is with as many enemies as it has particularly with the establishment so we, we try not to focus on the shams or bring them up very often for that reason because we're having a hard enough time just getting credibility as it is But we're not doing anybody a service if we just turn the other way and look all the time, especially for popular methodologies now, or what are becoming popular methodologies that, in fact, hurt people. Yes. And we've covered two such topics recently, topics of iodine and cronola. In the case of iodine, it's something we actually do recommend to people. We're not complete, we're not against its usage at all. we recommend it. What we're against is the way it's being applied and the way it's being encouraged that people apply it. What's being encouraged now by certain rogue people within the alternative health community is that iodine be taken as a supplement internally and orally yeah and it's a poison. Now we realize that in certain cases you would want to take it orally in emergency situations. Like, for instance, if it was the only way to purify your water in an emergency, a couple of drops of iodine might, might, well, save your life. And in that case, it would be good. It's also used for nuclear emergencies. If I were the recipient of radiation poisoning, and if a little bit of internal iodine might save my life, I would, of course, drink it. I would take the risk. Yeah. As opposed to taking the risk of being radiation poisoned.
0: Yeah, but what we're talking about is something completely different here. We're talking about people taking this every day as if it's a supplement and taking up to three teaspoons of of synthetic iodine every single day.
1: Yeah, some people are even giving it to their children in that way. Yeah. Uh, And it's, it's ridiculous, it's crazy. It is a known poison. You can look it up anywhere. You can even call your poison control center. It is not to be drank. And the way we recommend taking it is transdermally, by putting a patch on your skin. And we we actually recommend that everybody do do that. But the synthetic iodine, which is really the only kind you can buy, is toxic if taken internally. And we don't know why that is. You know, it doesn't really make a lot of sense when you think about it. When you you drink it internally, it's poisonous. But when you put it on your skin to be absorbed directly into the blood, it's non-toxic. Now, we don't understand it. We've looked around. Nobody else can explain it either. But what we're describing here is well-known. It's documented. It's scientific. Mm Mm-hmm pretty much anybody that bothers to look knows it Uh so we do recommend applying iodine transdermally every day and you can apply a patch maybe a quarter sized patch to your stomach if that patch is gone within twelve hours you know without a doubt with all certainty that you are deficient in iodine
0: yeah and that patch is about the size of a silver dollar right?
1: Yeah. what we recommend is people to experiment getting the patch larger and larger until they have a patch that is not completely gone in a 24-hour period. If there's some residue after 24 hours, then they have the amount they need because the body absorbs the amount it needs. That's another good thing about applying it externally. It's really hard to overdo it. So, we do. like I say, we do recommend that. And you'll notice that in times of sickness, it'll, it'll disappear very rapidly. The thyroid is very important, and it feeds off of iodine. And the thyroid is a critical part of the immune system. So anytime you're sick, you'll notice that stuff will disappear rapidly. In some cases, within hours.
0: Yeah. I mean, you'll find iodine inside foods, but, I mean, the organically occurring iodine that you'll find inside foods is completely da- uh, completely non-dangerous and different to what we're actually buying in a bottle. Yeah, the, it,
1: they, they do not have the ability to extract iodine in the form that it appears in foods. Yeah. What they, they can extract is chemically stimulant. Now, some people have advocated the use of iodine And and as as an excuse, a safety excuse, said that, well, it's being put in bread to enrich it, you know, and in salt. Yes. Well, that's not even iodine. That's iodide. It's a completely different chemical. And you cannot buy pure iodide. Okay? Only the food manufacturers get that stuff. So, no, iodine is not put in bread and is not put in salt. That is iodide. And... In fact, even if it were in bread, the bread itself would neutralize it. If you if you get too much iodine in you, it's neutralized by starches, which is pretty much the entire spectrum of carbohydrates. So if you if you overdose on iodine, you know you already have a kid drink it or something. The best thing you can do is pump them full of starch. Give them flour, give them bread, rice, potatoes, any starch you can get into them. And also we'd recommend some activated charcoal, which you should have on hand. We recommend everybody get some charcoal if they don't have it. You can read about that on our blog at Naturally Good Magazine, about uh, activated charcoal under poison emergencies.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic stuff and great to have on hand, because when you need it, you need (coughs) it really bad.
1: Yes, you do. When, When you need... When you need activated charcoal, it's too late to make it at that point.
0: Uh-huh.
1: You just simply don't have time. You know, of course, if you ingest too much iodine, or you have, or a child does, is more likely. You should contact the poison control center immediately too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The other thing that we've broken from the herd with recently was the topic of canola oil granola oil has been promoted right and left it's in all the health food stores it's even appearing as a popular choice now in regular retailers yeah because it's supposedly so healthy the of course the fda is behind it um anything that's like granola the fda is going to be behind and um one of their excuses is it's it's got a a high amount of omega-3 and it's low at saturated fats like, no saturated fats, in fact, they say. Yeah. No trans fats. It's just like this super miracle oil. And, of course, as you may be expecting, it's, it's a little too good to be true. The facts behind Cronola aren't so wonderful. And we're going to give you the facts real quick here. They've been boasting for years that it was made from rapeseed, that they cross-pollinated. With selective breeding, they created Cronola, a less toxic version of rapeseed. When, in fact, what they did, and what they're admitting now, they're admitting even... From the chief proponent of canola oil, the Canola Council of Canada, they admit that 80% of the canola in Canada is genetically engineered. They also, it's also known that 55% of it in the United States is genetically engineered. And those were the numbers from 2004. I can only imagine what the percentage is now.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay, and this is. But if you go online and try to read about it, try to look up information, you'll notice their marketers have saturated everywhere with all these postings saying that granola, it's all natural, it's just selective breeding. No, no, that's not true. You can go look it up yourself. It's not. And what they do to transform it into granola oil once they have the oil extracted, the the production type, the actual processing they do to it, it's incredible. It's like describing the making of an A-bomb, the process they go through. And, and in fact, they actually use radioactive materials on it. Uh Uh-huh. And so the FDA is bragging that it, it's, it's got no saturated fats, it's got high omega. That's great. That's before processing. That's before cooking. And, and, and here's what get, gets even better. Okay? Canola is supposed to be a cooking oil. It transforms into a different chemical when you cook it. Yeah. It starts producing things like benzene and formaldehyde. And, and oh oh, it even gets better. Believe it or not, it even gets better. In addition to producing these chemicals that get infused into your foods, the National Institutes of Health discovered that cooked canola oil produces poison gas, too.
0: Yeah, it'll kill a bird easily.
1: The old cold man parakeet experiment? Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think it probably would. From what I've read about it, um, we're not going to test our bird on it. It's just you know, not going to happen.
0: <laughs> no. In fact, the FDA is actually um, allowing canola manufacturers to write medical claims On their products now. Mm -hmm. I mean, like they would a pharmaceutical, but they don't allow anybody to write medical claims on any uh, supplements or anything like that. But on canola oil, it's okay.
1: Yeah, like, for instance, butter. Butter does have health benefits. They found that the whole cholesterol thing is a sham. Uh, You won't hear about it in the regular media, of course, but you will find it if you dig for it. Butter actually is a healthy fat, and they're not allowed to put that on the labeling. That's making unapproved medical claims. But for this bastardized, nuclear, genetically engineered crap, there's no other word for it. The FDA allows them to make medical claims on it because that that's benefiting their chemical industry mm-hmm. and their partners. Uh, and it's, it's really sad that so many sites are promoting granola yeah. or or the internal intake of iodine. It's, it's, it's disgusting. It's scary. And what really bothers me is when, when you hear reports of parents doing this to their kids, giving this stuff to their kids. Yeah especially spoonfuls of iodine I mean it's unreal
0: yeah it is really disturbing just one more thing I'd like to mention is that St. John's Wort is a great antiviral Um, so if you are getting sick it's a great idea to take that usually it also boosts the immune system dramatically Um, the only one thing is not to take it when when you are pregnant or if you're trying to get pregnant it's usually not a good idea
1: yeah it can cause an abortion
0: yeah, that's been said, yeah.
1: Um, of course, it's also really good for depression, which it's it's more known for. Yeah. As people know. Also, if you're getting sick, um, there's also oregano extract and olive leaf extract that may, may be effective. We're not really sure about them. We haven't done enough research to really say definitively, you know, if they're effective or not. But a lot of people in the alternative health movement swear by them. Yeah. And of course, there's always garlic, too. That's another big one.
0: Yeah, that one's becoming more and more well known.
1: Uh-huh. If you can stand the stinky breath, it's, mm-hmm. uh, you can uh, get better quicker. Yeah. Now, the most common pathway for an infection to enter the body is in one of three places: either the ears, nose, or throat. In the vast majority of cases, well, most people know this, but I just thought I'd give a reminder. Now, that's important because. With that in mind, most infections can be knocked out quickly and fairly easily if you catch them soon enough and do the right thing. For instance, when you first feel the sign of an infection kicking in, you can put peroxide in your ears. A couple of drops in each ear. Basically, you just lay on your side and use a dropper. Put a few drops in an ear. Wiggle your head as best you can to get it to penetrate deep into the ear canals. And you'll have to put up with a little bit of tickling from it it tickles really badly as it bubbles inside the ear it's definitely worth it then of course when you're done with one ear you switch over and do the other and even though you're just putting them in the ears it will somewhat penetrate into the nose throat area because they're all they're all connected you can also gargle with peroxide it's not a bad idea especially if you're feeling a sore throat coming on it's basically just oxygenated water hydrogen peroxide is completely safe completely non-toxic you can even drink it in small amounts safely fact it's used as a cancer cure using several regimens. but that that's completely different topic we'll cover some other time but it is safe you can hit the ears you can hit the throat with it sometimes that'll knock an infection right out we've seen it happen we've read about it it's true now if the infection happens to be a sore throat if you feel the raw scratchy sensations in your throat you can use a saltwater gargle as most people know but also we recommend adding a, t- a tiny pinch of cayenne pepper to it. You, know, you would think you put hot pepper in a raw throat, you're asking for it. That's, that's initially what we thought. We were kind of worried when we tried it. But in actuality, if you use just a small amount of cayenne in your salt solution, it actually has a numbing effect. It kills the pain. And that numbing can last for hours. Moreover, it can actually kill the infection too in some cases. Cayenne is, well, it's antibacterial and I believe antiviral, too, if it comes in direct contact with it. Yeah. So those are just a few pointers to you. If you feel yourself getting sick, sometimes you can knock it out within a couple hours. Certainly within 12 hours if you catch it in time, in most cases.
0: As I'm sure many of the listeners of this show already know, it's becoming harder and harder to eat all natural and organic foods. And part of the reason for this is the deception out there in the stores you'll pick up a can and it'll say no MSG on the front but you look in the ingredients and you'll see stuff like autolyzed soy protein autolyzed yeast extract and gelatin all these are common names that MSG is hidden behind but the FDA isn't interested in regulating these sorts of companies no, they're too busy regulating these supplement companies that write crazy stuff like vitamin C is good for you You know, the crazy stuff. But what the food industry is doing now is they're spraying crops with MSG. That's monosodium glutamate. They're actually spraying the crops so that the crops will actually absorb MSG and it will become a part of each plant. And the reason for this is that insects won't eat a plant laced with MSG, just like they won't eat the rapeseed plant. And they won't eat the soy plant, because these plants are poisonous. And insects don't eat poisonous plants, go figure. And neither should we. But food manufacturers do this because it's convenient for them. It means that their products have greater shelf lives, and it means that they're much, much easier to grow. It's not about the consumer in any way. And of course... So far, it doesn't look like there's any sort of labeling required on these products. So even those people who are looking to eat good foods and making their foods from scratch are going to start having a lot of trouble avoiding stuff like MSG. It's crazy. Oh, and by the way, whilst we're on this note of looking at fresh fruits and vegetables, you'll notice a little sticker on your fruits and vegetables when you buy them fresh which has either a four- or five-digit number on them. You'll want to avoid fruits and vegetables that start with a three or an eight, as that symbolizes that the fruit or vegetable is genetically modified. If it begins with the number four, that means it's conventionally grown. That means it could have pesticides, and it could have fertilizers, but it's not genetically modified. If it has a number nine, it's organic. Again, three or eight means genetically modified, four means conventionally grown, and nine means it's organic. The show is coming to an end now, but there are a couple of topics I'd like to discuss. I'd like to bounce back to the issue of cholesterol for just a minute. You see, cholesterol is often seen in this country as something that is bad, and if you have it, you're diseased in some way. But that's simply not the case. A large amount of bad cholesterol reveals that you have not had enough sunlight. The body converts cholesterol in the skin to an inactive form of vitamin D3, which is then converted into the active form by the liver and kidneys. These chemical reactions lower levels of harmful cholesterol, otherwise known as LDL. So if you don't get sunlight, you get a buildup of cholesterol, especially when you're eating hydrogenated oils like we discussed earlier. So cholesterol is completely normal, it just builds up when you're deficient in vitamin D. There are a bunch of other reasons that you need vitamin D too. If you don't get enough of it, you won't be able to absorb other vitamins and minerals like calcium, which as we all know is really important for bone health, and helps to ward off relatively new diseases like brittle bone disease. Vitamin D deficiency alone has been linked with 17 different types of cancer, as well as heart disease, stroke, hypertension, Autoimmune diseases, diabetes, depression, chronic pain, osteoarthritis, osteoporosis, muscle wasting, birth defects, and the list goes on and on. You name it. The point remains the same. Vitamin D is absolutely crucial if you want to obtain good health, though it's probably the most underestimated vitamin of all. It's nearly impossible to get enough vitamin D from your diet and supplementation, and you need to know that vitamin D that is found in milk will not do you any good whatsoever. Those synthetic chemicals that they add to homogenized milk are completely useless, and it just adds unnecessary strain to the body. You really shouldn't be drinking homogenized milk in the first place, by the way, as it's a major contributor to heart disease. It's useless for calcium absorption, and it makes it impossible for you to properly absorb iron, which is essential. So it's really bad stuff. The best way for you to get vitamin D is to go out into the sunlight every day. Well, if you liked the show, and we both hope that you did, you can find more shows on our audio archive. You can visit our website. It's healthwise.org. Remember that wise is spelt W-Y-Z-E, which is to put emphasis on the wisdom. So again, that's org. On our top menu, there's a link to the audio archive, and then you'll find all of our shows that you can listen to from start to finish. We have a lot of them. You can also visit our online store or donate. We certainly appreciate it whenever you can. And there are ways that you can support us without giving us any money. You can tell your friends and family about us. We don't have a marketing staff. We really do rely on you to spread the word. You can list us in your email signature so that there's a link to us on every email that you send. You can link to us on your website or your blog. You can sign up to our mailing list and you can start discussions there. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are a lot of different ways that you can help out. We send out an email whenever we put out an article or we publish a new show. So if you want to be updated, that's a good way to get updated. Also, if anybody needs us, if you need to speak to us about any health issue or anything else, you can always go to the contact us page on our website and you can send us an email or you can call us. We do actually answer the phone. People are really shocked when they find out that we do, but we are actually here. We're human. Well, I guess that's about it, Thomas. Toodaloo. Bye.